the vast majority of people actually don't get to go to schools where if they work hard, that hard work translates into advancement. And so we have massive issues in equality and education in our country right now, where unfortunately your zip code is very greatly tied to the level of education you get and that education tied to how easy it is to advance yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Talent Playbook Podcast. My name is Jason Ferrara. I'm the Chief Marketing and Strategy Officer at Outmatch and your host for the podcast. Our podcast focuses on strategies for transforming your world of work. During each podcast, we highlight someone who has transformed their organization or industry in a significant way. Today's guest is Rebecca tabor Stanley, the founder and CEO of Merit America. In Merit America, Rebecca has created both a tech startup and a nonprofit all at once. Merit America works with underemployed adults and places them in technology jobs. It's both an excellent idea and a worthy cause, putting people to work by helping them find a path in the workforce. Not only does she tell us the compelling origin story of Merit America, but she also gets into her philosophy on company culture, building a high-performance team, and her focus on lifelong learning. I'm sure you'll enjoy Rebecca's insight. So without further delay, here's the Talent Playbook Podcast with Rebecca Tabor-Stalen. Hey, Rebecca, thanks for joining the podcast. We're really excited to have you on the show today. Thanks so much for having me. Great. I'd like to start uh, by talking a little bit about your current job. You and I have known each other for a period of time, and I understand what you do, but I don't think our listeners really do. So it would be great for you to just describe your your current job and how long you've been doing that. Great. Uh, well, I'm Rebecca Tabor. I'm the founder and CEO of Merit America. And so Merit America is a new nonprofit focused on how we can prepare millions of low-wage working adults who are hardworking and talented but don't have college degrees for really great skilled careers where there are opportunities for them to grow and earn higher wages and really advance their career over time. Uh, So we are a startup nonprofit. We are 16 months old, which I like to say means we are no longer in the screaming all night infant phase, (laughs) but we're still just an early toddler getting our our legs under ourselves. Right. Right. Yeah. It's the point at which you sleep through the night where you realize you've, you've crossed the, you've crossed a, 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 a bridge there. So you've got two things happening in your business, right? You're a startup and you're a nonprofit. So what, t- tell us a little bit about your experience with, with both those. You have experience in, with startups, you have experience with nonprofits. How did you jump in to do both of those things at the same time? Well, my career has actually been focused on the issue of education for economic opportunity. So how we can help anyone, anywhere advance their lives by advancing their education and their career. Uh, And I've actually done that in the public sector, working for Governor Markell in Delaware as his education advisor. I've done that in the private sector at Coursera, which is the world's largest online education provider. A little time in the private sector at McKinsey, a consulting firm. But this is my first foray into the nonprofit world. And happy to talk about why we decided to make Merit America a nonprofit, largely based on the idea that it's a really important mission and a mission where there's not a very natural private sector market. But luckily, there are uh, philanthropists and public funding that can support our work. So new to the nonprofit world, in terms of the startup world, I did have the chance to join Coursera pretty early in their founding um, and was there from years two to five. So got to see what it was like to build an organization with a big mission and a big idea, uh, somewhat from the ground up, 
but certainly not as early stage as being employee number one of Merit America. <laughs> right, right. There's a there's a difference between a year and employee number one. Although you do you do uh, there's still a plenty to do uh, within year two at a startup. So that's great. So how how did you get started in your career? You know, you describe what I what I just heard briefly was a passion for education. So how did you get started in your career with that focus? So this might sound a, a little dorky, but I'm someone who always really loved school. Um, from a very young age, I loved school. My friends used to joke that I'd grow up and be the principal of school, so <laughs> I loved school so much. And I think the reason I loved it was because, for me, school was always a place where if you worked hard, you could see immediate results. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just loved this idea of you know learning and advancing yourself. And because of that, I think it was a very natural uh, opportunity for me when I was a teenager uh, in college to just volunteer in schools and to say, Hey, you know, I've got some spare time. I want to volunteer. Where should I go? I'll go to the local elementary school. And what happened when I started doing that really just driven by a love of learning and love of that environment was I saw that vast majority of people actually don't get to go to schools where if they work hard, that hard work translates into advancement. Mm -hmm. And so we have massive issues in equality and education in our country right now where unfortunately your zip code is very greatly tied to the level of education you get and that education tied to how easy it is to advance yourself. So I I think that general realization came pretty early on for me. And then just moments over, you know, years of working in schools and seeing kids who were extremely hardworking, extremely talented. I remember one student I worked with for many years who was from age seven to 11, who really wanted to go to college where I went to college. Mm. And I wanted to do everything he could to make that an option for him. But all the data would suggest that coming from the schools he was going to, he faced a much, much, much difficult, more difficult climb than if he had had the chance to go to some of the schools that I had been to. Mm -hmm. And so when you found Coursera, was that, you know, that is obviously a, a merger of education and business, right? What did, what did you see there that attracted you to that company? I think actually backing up a little bit before Coursera, I'd been working in the state of Delaware, really focused on how we could make the existing education system as strong as possible. So from preschool through college. And we saw incredible progress in strengthening the schools in the state, um, amazing work on the part of teachers, principals, parents, board members, et cetera. Uh, but what we saw is there were still so many people who weren't succeeding in the traditional education system. So they might graduate from high school. They might even enroll in college. But because finances or family issues got in the way, they weren't able to finish. So what drove me to Coursera was really this idea of how do we provide opportunity for folks who haven't succeeded in the traditional education system to still be able to get the education they need to advance their lives. Um, and at Coursera just saw the huge potential of new technology to really reduce the cost, increase the quality, and increase the accessibility of education for anyone, anywhere. Mm-hmm. But also that online learning alone doesn't work for a lot of folks. So there's some folks for sure who it works for. I'm, I'm somewhat in the middle. I've signed up for a lot of online courses, but I've only really ever completed them where I had a peer group and a schedule. And so that is what really drove us to Merit America to say, let's have this nonprofit focused on the issue of helping people who haven't succeeded in traditional education get skills to advance their careers by using new technology like Coursera and online learning, but also supplementing it with wraparound services in person and structure so that anyone anywhere can really make the most of it. Yeah. So let's, yeah, let's, let's do talk specifically about Merit America 
now um, with with that with that backdrop, I think it's a, a good idea to just describe Merit America. So if you could just describe that business for us, um, and and I'll maybe jump in with some follow ups here, but uh, just give give us an overall description of Merit America. Well, as I said, our our mission is really how we can help low-wage working adults get the skills for better careers. And we do that in three ways. So the first thing we do is we really understand what are the great skilled roles that require more than a high school degree alone, but don't necessarily require a college degree, and and you can prepare for those roles. And we figure out what they are through labor market data and through partnerships with employers. And right now, those roles are really in information technology healthcare, and advanced manufacturing. Then what we do is we create hybrid learning programs that are aligned to train folks for those roles, which means we combine online learning with in-person wraparound supports to help create a really accessible, flexible model where someone can learn while they work, understanding that, especially with unemployment so low right now, most folks are in the workforce, but they're often underemployed. So how can we help people who might be in minimum wage jobs or in the gig economy get skills for those great jobs I mentioned with a model that works while they work. Uh, And then the third thing we do is we go out and we find the talented, hardworking adults without college degrees who we put through the program and support in making that life transition. So describe what wraparound support means. I I get online learning. I'm not sure I understand wraparound support. Yep. um, We use a lot of industry jargon here, so (laughs) it's a, a great question. And so for us, what it means is a coach who helps you get through the courses, and a team of peers who are in it with you. So we like to say we take online learning and we turn it into a team sport. And so very practically in our program right now, uh, you will learn for anywhere from 15 to 25 hours a week. Again, an amount of time that's significant, and it's an investment, but it's something that can work while you're working another job. And of those 15 to 25 hours, uh, about 80% of that will be online with a schedule and a very clear set of resources of when to do what, Uh, but then you'll have once a week in person with that team of peers, your squad, facilitated by your coach, and then every other week, you'll also meet one-on-one with your coach, and throughout the whole program, you'll have 24-7 technical support, you'll have virtual support from your coach, you'll have mentors, you'll have community events, so we take this online learning, and not only do we tell you what to take to get a better job, but we give you the support in how to take it and how to get through it. And then the connection to employers on the back end once you finish to go from where you are to that better career. Hmm. Very cool. I love, I love the idea of the coach and, and the peer group. I'm familiar with the peer group. I suppose in most of my situations, the coach might have been a teacher, right? So in this situation, the, the coach is that person and the, and the peer group would be that working team that, that I would have experienced in a traditional academic setting. There are most likely a lot of people who are in the category of the types of people you'd put through the Merit America program. Are you nationwide? How do you find the people? Like, I want to ask a bunch of questions all at once. So let, let's start with, are, are you a nationwide organization? Um, how, you know, what's your growth process look like? Yeah, so a, a quick funny story on nationwide. Right when we were getting started, when we had uh, myself and two other teammates before we had even launched our first pilot, we were meeting with another organization and they, they asked what you asked and said, you know, where are you operating? And my teammate very confidently said, well, we're national. <laughs> uh, so I think from the very beginning, we've had this idea that we are nationwide, we're operating at scale, but practically right now we have a site in DC, Maryland and Virginia metro area, and we have a site in the Dallas Fort Worth area. 
And what I mean by a site is because we don't have brick and mortar buildings, what we do is we have a general geographic region where we're operating, where individuals are applying to the program, they're getting in, and then we have those meetups with their peers and their coach happening in person, uh, but they're happening in libraries, in coffee shops, uh, in a bunch of uh, locations that we select that are really accessible. So when you join the program, it really is making sure you can commit to that, you know, 15 to 25 hours a week of learning, but then you can choose for that small in-person time component to be in a place and time that works for you because we'll offer weekday, weeknight, weekend in, you know, a range of different locations. And so is, that's where we're currently operating. Got it. And is, is there research that, that shows that adult learning is best done in groups like this? Or, you know, why not, why not choose to have the meetups online, for example? I'm sure you have a reason for, the, hey, it's, it's in person for these reasons and not online for these reasons. So it's interesting. It's still a really new field. And so there's not nearly as much research as we would hope. But there is some very promising early research that shows blended learning is blended learning, which is online plus in person, mm-hmm. is the best of all worlds. In that you get the effectiveness of in person learning if it is done well. It's not going to be more effective than in person alone, but it can be as effective as in person. Um, and uh, you also get the accessibility of all of a sudden there's a huge range of folks who could never have participated in an in person only program who can participate, mm-hmm. and it's much lower cost which also helps with scale. So, um, yeah, there's definitely research that having an in-person component really helps increase completion rates and folks getting through the program uh, while also not sacrificing quality and allowing for scale. So you've said scale a couple of times. I, maybe we get back to this too, but I love the idea that you've got this business that has all the earmarks of a, of a for-profit business and then all these opportunities from an educational uh, organization perspective. So I love the blend of those two things. But the question I really want to ask you is, how do you, how do you find people? I mean, even if I think about the D.C., Maryland, Virginia, and the DFW area, those are, those are large metropolitan areas where um, you have to generate some awareness, generate people. How do you, how do, you do those things? What are the what, what's the strategy, and then what are some tactics that you've got in there to, to do that? Well, when we started out, we said we know the kind of folks we're working for, what we're looking for. We're looking for the incredibly hardworking, talented people who are in minimum wage jobs, who have all the potential to succeed in a program like ours and the jobs that will come after, but you know just aren't able to quit their jobs right now to go back to school. They're not able to advance where they are, so how do we find them? And one of the first insights was to actually find them on job boards. So those are folks who are usually in the workforce and they're looking for new jobs. And so what we do since our, our program, um, we actually, it's a free program and we pay people stipends while they learn. So we frame it as a contract position where you are getting paid to learn and to make this transition. And so job boards have been a great source of applicants for us for that reason. But then, almost more importantly, it's once we have all these applicants, how do we find those folks who will succeed in our program, again, and and the jobs that we want to get them into afterwards? Mm -hmm. And we designed a process where we said, you don't need money, and you don't need formal education or any kind of degree, but what you really need is grit. Um, And so grit is this idea of, can you keep going through a process that might be difficult? You keep going when the going is tough. And what we do is we have a series of steps that really look for, are they gritty, and do they have the baseline skills that we need? Um, And actually, Outmatch is a phenomenal partner for us in that assessment process where uh, the very first thing they do after they apply to the program is they go through the Outmatch assessment, 
Then they do a video interview through WePow, the Outmatch, uh, which is now part of Outmatch. Uh, and then after that, they take a short online course where, again, it's just looking at are they interested in this? Are they willing to put in the time on the front end? And then the very end of the process, they actually come in person for the first time and do a group interview simulation where we're really just testing their ability to show up at a place at a time and work decently well with others. So we find them on job boards, and then we do online assessment, video interview, uh, online course, in-person interview, and that gets a phenomenally strong cohort. Yeah. So you're describing a lot of different pieces here. You're describing the scale and and technology of, of a business. Um, you're you're describing a course design. You're describing recruiting. You're you know you're obviously you're on this podcast. So you you, you go out and sell the business to to, to people. You have partners. Um, what does your day look like? What do, what's a day in the life of Rebecca look like with all these different pieces needing to be in place and, and humming along to, to have the business run? Well, I think the secret sauce, to the extent there is any, is really the team that makes Merit America work. So I'm the one on the podcast now, but they're the ones doing all of the hard work to pull all these pieces together. Um, and so as a result, I think a day in the life for me, if I'm not traveling and either on site on one of our locations or fundraising, it's really focused on how am I empowering the team to help reach all of their goals and, and what they need to get done. And so very practically, a day in the life, I'll you know, wake up, have breakfast at home, read some uh, news and uh, catch up on email, and then commute into work. I live in Bethesda, Maryland, but work in D.C., and will always listen to a podcast or um, a webinar or something I'm hoping to learn on the way in. I find that's a really great time to focus on learning and have lots of podcast recommendations if anyone listening to this podcast ever wants them. Yeah. What are, uh, and then what my day are is some, really, <laughs> let's jump in real quick. So we don't forget what are some podcasts that you listen to some recommendations that you, that you would have. I think for the journey of starting a uh, Merit America that the masters of scale podcast with Reed Hoffman has just been phenomenal. So I've never missed an episode of that. I've learned so much. I've got, you know, pages and pages of quotes from those podcasts. Mm -hmm. um, I also really like without fail from Gimlet, which is kind of the opposite. So if masters of scale is all about people who have succeeded and built large scale enterprises without fail is folks who maybe haven't been successful and really mining their learning. Mm hmm. All right, so now you're on, you're on the train, you're listening to podcasts and enjoying that experience. What, happen, what happens next in your day? Every day I'm thinking about four things. I'm thinking about our employers and employer partners because, again, that's where we will be successful if we're getting folks from where they are into great jobs. Uh, I'm thinking about funding. So right now we are largely philanthropically funded, so that's the, the fuel for the fire. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm thinking about the model. So, you know, what is the data showing us about what's working well and not working well and the programs that we're running? And then the team, again, and how I can support them and hold them accountable in, in really achieving our vision. So it's rare that on my calendar you're going to see something that's not related to one of those things with the occasional storytelling, like doing this podcast right. thrown in as well. Right. And so we'll talk a little bit about the team. How many employees are at Merit America today? Uh, we're currently 13 people. So you talked a lot about grit as a characterization of people for the Merit America program. How does that, how does either grit translate to being a Merit America team member or what are the, some of those things you look for when you're looking for people to join the Merit America team? 
it's interesting. I think grit and lifelong learning are the most important things in our candidates for Merit America programs. And they're also some of the most important things for the teammates. Uh, but for our interviewing and hiring process, we actually have six things that we look for, um, and we turn them into a bit of an acronym. So if you'll bear with me, I can go through what those are. Does that sound yeah. good? Yeah, great. Yeah. Uh, so we say we look for sorcerers, and I'm sure anyone listening is going to be trying to figure out how this spells out sorcerers, but here we go. Uh, we look for folks who are strategic, so they're big thinkers, they understand systems change, they're ambitious. That's the first thing. Mm-hmm. Then the O is operational, so they really know how to go from an idea and a vision and a plan to getting it done and all the milestones and outcomes you need to, to make that happen. Uh, the third is that they're relationship builders, so really adept at building relationships both within the team and externally. Then uh, there are also content experts, uh, so folks who really understand what we're trying to do here or at least are eager to learn about it in terms of the broader education for employment space that we work in. The fifth attribute is that they have real empathy, so they really care deeply for our mission and for our learners, and um, that's, I think, a really distinguishing value for folks who work at Merit America. And then the last R uh, is that they raise the bar for our culture, so that they really, uh, you know, are committed to the mission, are fun-loving, are learning-oriented, risk-seeking, and just, you know, raise the bar for what it means to be a Merit American. So that's our sorcerers. Uh, I love it. I love sorcerers. Do you have a... um Somewhere in the office, do you have a uh, sorcerer's hat, you know, like a pointy hat with stars and moons and stuff on it? You know, we probably should. We have a parrot hat right now. Oh, nice. Um, for, <laughs> if, you, if you don't use our team processes well, our, our head of project management makes you wear the parrot hat. But I think <laughs> a sorcerer hat might be a good one, too. Well, yeah. There's always, there's always some cultural, um, some, some like cultural hazing that goes on, right? Some sort of hat that must be worn at some point. Uh, so how did you develop the those, I guess I would say, you know, I don't know if you describe sorcerers as values or guiding principles. How did you develop those? Uh, I wish I had a, an easy answer for you. I think it just really came from the experience I had at Coursera where um, part of being at an early stage company in its formative years, I, I probably interviewed over 100 folks while there and just being able to interview so many people and then hire so many people and see who was successful or not, mm-hmm. um, sort of the pattern recognition of what are the things that are most determinant of success in a early stage startup. And so in many ways, I think what we were doing at Coursera, uh, building a new company with a big mission is similar to Merit America. So I could kind of steal shamelessly from my learnings there. Sure, sure. Um, but I do think, I think every role and environment is different. So I, I wouldn't say that this will be what we hire for in any company at any phase, but it's been really important for the phase we're in now. Yeah. And, and I would imagine with your employees, they appreciate the thought that went into that concept of a sorcerer. They would see themselves there, right? And it's got to be very empowering to them, I would think. I think so. And I think um, we also, again, have our values, which align. We have six values, which align almost perfectly to those six things we look for in candidates. And we really try to have the values be a part of our culture where we have a Slack channel. I don't know if folks are familiar with Slack. It's a work messaging app, Mm -hmm. um, but one entirely devoted to uh, it's called hashtag team love. So shout outs for folks who are living our values in a good way. 
Um, and then we also have every other week an all-hands meeting where we recognize folks who are living our values. So, again, the sorcerer criteria translates into our values, which we really try to imbue throughout the organization. Yeah, I love that. So how, how do... What do people recognize on the on the Team Love channel? What does it mean to you know live the values and, and what kinds of things get recognized? I, I love this concept, so I'd love to talk a little bit more about it. Yeah, uh, and actually, I'll say the Team Love concept was uh, I stole that from someone who's big on organizational behavior and said it's a really easy way to make sh- you know to make sure people remember yep. and are recognizing the values throughout the org. So it's been great for us, and I, I highly recommend it for folks. And so I can actually read you uh, one that went out this morning on sure. Team Love that says, uh, Team Love, shout out to Jamoke for living our value of caring deeply. She journeyed out to Rockville yesterday to pick up refurbished commute- computers for learners in Dallas without adequate devices and is shipping them to Dallas now. We still need a long-term device solution, but this was decisive action to solve a problem that needed immediate resolution. Thank you, Jamoke. Great. Wow. That's a great one. It covers so many things, operational and relationship and empathy and, and raising the bar. I mean, that really is, that's really great. That's really great. Thanks for sharing that. So from a business perspective, you, you, you know, talk about the fourth, generally the four, you know, containers that your day that's in your day, thinking about working with employer partners, funding model and the team. What are, the metrics you use to run your business, you couldn't run it without what metrics? What are the main things you look at? You know, I was really lucky to go to business school and to have an experience there with a class focused on starting and growing a social venture. Mm -hmm. And I remember one of my big takeaways from that class was there are really three pieces to the triangle for any social venture, which are impact, scale, and sustainability. Uh, and so the three metrics that we are really obsessed with tie to all of those. So for Merit America, our big impact metric that we're looking at um, is what, how, how much of a wage gain can we drive for the average learner? So on average right now, our participants start at $24,000 in wages, again, working in jobs like retail, food service, the gig economy. Uh, and so we're looking at how, without them quitting their jobs while going through our program, what is the average wage gain we can drive from the new jobs they secure after our program? Uh, and right now we're actually really excited. It's over $15,000, wow. uh, which is candidly probably even higher than we thought would be possible with right. such a short-term intervention. Wow. Uh, so there's that average wage gain is the first metric. The second is the scale. So how many folks are we driving that for? Uh, because again, we would almost rather have you know 10,000 people getting a $10,000 wage gain than a hundred people getting a, $17,000 sure, sure. So, um, you know, we really look at that impact and scale and then uh, divided by, for our ROI, the cost of doing that, which really gets to our sustainability. Mm-hmm. And do you have a scorecard that you report this data on a regular basis? Is it open to the rest of the team? Uh, how, how do you use those as, as management tools? We, uh, we definitely do. So right now it's a pretty janky Excel sheet, uh, mm-hmm. but we are working. Um, and I, I'm told by the end of the quarter, this is all going to be in Salesforce with automatic reports that'll be uh, emailed out regularly to the whole team. So we've talked a lot about not just using it for our own purposes, which we've always done, but we really want to be on the forefront of what one of my teammates has uh, called Radically Candid Reporting, our yeah. RCR, um, as a nonprofit to really talk about, again, what impact we're having for how many people and the cost of driving that impact. 
Yeah. I think, you know, there's so many phenomenal nonprofits in our space right now, but for whatever reason, they're all so focused on talking about percentages. And so if you look up, you know, any of the major nonprofits or local nonprofits or workforce organizations, they talk about what percentage complete the program and then maybe what percentage get a job. But the reason we don't love percentages is, first off, it doesn't help you talk about scale. And so, like I said, we'd rather have mm-hmm. 60% of 10,000 people successful than 90% of 100 people. Right, right. Um, and it doesn't capture, well, did they get a good job? Did they stay in that job? Were they earning more? Was, was it sustainable? And so, again, there are lots of areas in the social sector that are hard to measure the impact. It's hard to measure the impact of an early childhood program or other interventions. But for workforce development, it should be pretty easy. So we want to be on the forefront of a new standard for measuring and reporting. Yeah, I love it. And, and I love the fact that you are using what you describe as a, as a janky spreadsheet. I mean, yeah, getting started is, is half the battle, right? You get, <laughs> let's measure these things. Let's not wait till we have the perfect delivery mechanism to start measuring it and we'll know what they are. Talk a little bit about challenges in the business. I mean, you've, you've brought up a lot of really interesting challenges in the education system, challenges in your business and in, in keeping and growing and, and gaining scale. What's like, what, what's the biggest challenge you see right now for, for your team and, and what are you doing to, you know, work on overcoming that? Uh, well, there are no shortage of challenges. So sure. it's trying to think, well, what is the absolute <laughs> biggest right now? I really think it actually comes down to the tension between some of those metrics I just shared, impact, mm-hmm. scale, and sustainability. Um, so right now we are in our planning for 2020, um, really wanting to understand, you know, what level of scale are we aiming to get to um, and what level of impact in terms of the wage gain uh, do we want to have as our stick in the ground. And because we're so new, you know, we've done this so far with um, close to 200 people, but we're really mm-hmm. trying to get to thousands and tens of thousands. The question is, you know, you could say, all right, let's just double the number of people we reach next year, which we can probably then continue to deliver the same, if not greater impact, but will we then be really hitting the gas on scale the way we want? Or we can 5X, which is one situation we're looking at, but, you know, the wheels might start to come off on the model a Mm -hmm. little bit and we'll say, actually, we might have grown too quickly. And so I, I feel like that's the biggest challenge because, there's no one telling us what we have to do. We're, we're very lucky. We don't have a funder that says you have to reach this number of people or have this level of impact. So it's really just thinking about what is best in the short term and what will set us best up for success in the long term. Yeah, well, I really do love this connection um, conceptually, an organization around education, but you have the same business metrics that that most for-profit companies run on, right? You've, you've got scale and you've got return and and all that's incredibly important. And it depends on what your strategic initiative is to where the levers are, where one where one metric takes over. I mean, you're absolutely right about about growth and what you focus on and where you have to sacrifice. I just, I, I, I love the concept that you've got both this education, empathy angle and the, and, you know, you're running a business. You have to, you have to figure out how to do it the best way. Yeah, and, and a startup business, no less. So right. you know, I know every business right. struggles with, you know, what should our annual goals be? But you know, if you're a grocery store business, you can set goals based on your competitors, your customers, your costs. Um, you know, whereas we're in a really wild west right now. There aren't right. a lot of large-scale nonprofits serving the group that we're serving, and certainly not in the way that we're serving them. So it's kind of up for us to think about, well, what is that right mix of ambition but realism? Yeah. 
So let's talk a little bit about mentorship. Have you had mentors in your career? And if so, what were they able to do for you, provide you with? I've definitely had mentors and I'm a huge believer in the importance of mentors and then also mentoring myself. Um, So I'm I'm really glad you asked that question. Uh, You know, I've I've definitely had a few, but one in particular I can talk about uh, since we're now working together for the first time. His name is John Schnur. He's the CEO of America Achieves, which is actually the fiscal sponsor to Merit America. For folks on the phone who aren't familiar with nonprofits, usually as a nonprofit getting started, you need someone with an existing 501c3 status that you can piggyback on until uh, you can get your own 501c3 status. Uh, And I've known John for over 10 years now um, since our paths crossed when I was at McKinsey working on education. And his mentorship for me has been someone who from a very early age for me was really encouraging me to think about social entrepreneurship, to believe in myself as someone who is capable of starting something with an idea from scratch Uh, to help me think through the logistics of going from nothing to something and raising funding and really developing the mission and then to giving us a home when we decided we were to be ready to do this. That's great. And I I also love the the thought about social entrepreneurship. So is is this, you know, you connected with John because you knew that he was the right person to, to help you build the organization you connected with John because you knew he was the person to help push you to, you know, what, like, what are the pieces that brought that together? You said, well, here's, here's somebody who, who I need to have in my, you know, at at my, at my table. Yeah, actually when John and I first connected, it was when I was transitioning from McKinsey to working with governor Markell in Delaware on our big statewide education program that, John had been involved with at a federal level. Um, And it really was a true mentorship from the beginning that he found me someone who was committed to this area, going to spend the next few decades of my life working on this, but very new. And so he was really great at helping me understand, you know, what resources were there in terms of people and places I could learn from to do the best work I could do in Delaware. And then out of that experience, we just stayed in touch for many years, Um, you know, regular check-ins, coffee whenever we were in the same place. Uh, and I think his focus not on, uh, you know, the work per se, but on me as an individual and mm-hmm. where did I want to go and where could I potentially go was just so invaluable. And um, the one thing I've, I've heard from people in terms of their mentors is obviously there's a friendship built there, but there's also, you know, an expectation that work gets done when you're together and talking, right? There's, there's a reason this person's a mentor and not simply a friend that you go have dinner with. So how, how does he hold you accountable for, for, for you know, your conversations and, and things like that? I mean, I'm sure there's that dynamic. Well, I think that's, uh, I, I haven't heard that framing before, but I really like that. And so early on, you know, I think because I had uh, been working with the perspective I had uh, for a governor in Delaware, uh, while I, whenever I would ask John for help thinking through something or an issue we were facing, um, at the same time or soon after, he would have an issue that I could be helpful with as well from the perspective of the roles that I had. Mm-hmm. So I really think it is a two-way street. And, um, you know, I would encourage anyone who's looking to form a mentoring relationship to think about, um, you know, what is this person getting out of mentoring you and how can you fuel that? So maybe it's, yeah, they need some advice and perspective from you because you've got a fresh set of eyes on something. Mm-hmm. Or maybe there's something about mentoring you that's helpful to them and seeing your growth and knowing that they recommended you take a path, you took it, you learned from it, and, and you report that back. So I think 
uh, mentoring is a very altruistic activity, but it's, it's important to think about, again, the value that's being exchanged both ways. Yeah, I love that notion that there's a there's a value exchange there, right? Because it is both parties should be should be receiving a benefit there. So I, I like how you how you phrase that. Uh, so I have I have one more question for you um, as as we kind of wind down the conversation here. It really is about advice that you would give to people starting their careers. What what is what is some of that advice that you give to, to people when they come to you to ask about you know Hey, I'm 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 going out in the workforce. You know, what what advice would you give to me? Um, you know, I haven't I haven't fully verbalized this before, but I think uh, our conversation has been leading up to it, which is I, I think you don't have to be an entrepreneur to be really entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a mentor actually at Coursera who talked about the idea of an intrapreneur, someone who's entrepreneurial within an organization, and so uh, you know, entrepreneurs—it's this big buzzword right now. But to me, what it means is seeing problems, seeing opportunities, and going after them without someone explicitly telling you to do so. I think someone once said, like, the definition of entrepreneurship is relentless pursuit of an idea without regard for resources currently held. So it means you you might not have the time or the money or the people you need right now, but you pursue the idea to make it happen. And so, again, I think one thing that makes people really successful at Merit America as teammates is that they're entrepreneurial. They're thinking about what can I do to advance the mission without, you know, Rebecca or my boss telling me to do it? So we, we're not a micromanaging culture. You're not going to be given, here's your 90-day plan, just follow it. Uh, it's seeing those opportunities and going after them. And I've seen that same trait make our learners really successful and just so many folks in the workplace today, whether they're on the talent team and they're the ones saying, hey, I'm going to be entrepreneurially in how I think about sourcing talent and partnering with non-traditional providers like Merit America or anywhere else in an organization. Oh, thank you. I, I, I love I love that answer, and I love the idea that entrepreneur is a state of mind, right? Not a not not doesn't just define the business that you're in, but it defines how you approach the business that you're in. Really great insight there. So thank you for that, and thank you for being on the podcast. I mean, it's just such great stuff to to learn about your early career, where you are today, how you're building an organization the detail on, on podcasts and just the where you focus your time. It's all such a rich, wonderful detail to, to have people here and draw parallels to their own life or grab something that they can drive in through their own business. So I really appreciate your time and, and being on the podcast. Thanks so much, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. This was great. Thank you for listening to the Talent Playbook Podcast with our guest, Rebecca Tabor-Stalen. If you'd like to learn more about Rebecca, start with her bio on LinkedIn. You can also learn more about Merit America on the Merit America website at meritamerica.org. I'd like to mention that the Talent Playbook podcast is now part of C-Suite Radio. A big shout out to Mitch for his assistance getting us on the network and a shout out to my friend Jeff Hazlett for being the source of innovation and inspiration and helping to join the C-Suite Radio network. You can subscribe, download, and rate this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube, and at Outmatch.com in the now streaming menu. Thank you to Rebecca Tabor-Stalen for her time. I'd also like to thank Oliver Stalen for introducing me to Rebecca. I'd also like to thank Ryan and Jamoke at Merit America for their help and their inspiration and their willingness to tell their story. Thanks also to Chris Gardner at Outmatch for the technical assistance. 
And our theme music is composed by Chris Gardner. Until next time, this is Jason Ferrara saying thanks for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.